So, Revelation chapter number 7, and we'll uh, read verses 1 to 17. I think it's important to, to read these because they, we get to these verses, uh, especially from verse uh, 4 onwards, and we find that there are many misinterpretations of this, and we want to get this right. So, we'll read from verse number 1 of Revelation chapter number 7, and the Word of God says this. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gab, or Gad, sorry, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephtalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to your God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne in their faces and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto your God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them into living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears, from their eyes. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time that we have this evening to come to your word. And Lord, we thank you that we can't open this book of Revelation, the, the book that to the Christian is, is like the book of Daniel to the Jew. It's unopened. It's unread. Many would cry, the things in here are too hard to understand, but Lord, it's your word. You've inspired it you've given it it's for a reason it's for a purpose we read at the very start there are blessings in this book so lord i pray that you would help us to unpack your truths in the right way 
Help us to see the things are yet to come. Help us to see, Lord, that these things, thankfully, because of your mercy and your grace, are not for the church, but indeed this is a different time. A time when you pick up your program with your children of Israel. The time of Jacob's trouble. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this evening about our blessings, what we have. But also, Lord, help us to see what's to come. To see that, indeed, the world is in a tailspin. But, Lord, you haven't moved, you haven't shifted, you haven't been faltering. You've always been on the throne. And we thank you, Lord, that when we see these books, it is history in advance. Your will will be done, Lord. And Lord, I pray again you would just teach us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. I know that we love revival and long for it, and we should do as believers. We should long for revival across Christendom, across the church. We should uh, be praying for that. And there are those that say that there will be a worldwide revival before the Lord will come again. And we, we dealt with that, didn't we, last week as we looked at Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24 and verse number 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness until all nations. And then shall the end come. And I want to say to you this evening that I do believe in a revival, a worldwide revival that will happen. But I don't believe that the church plays any part in it. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean that I don't believe in revival. And that's the criticism that is leveled at those that take a dispensational stand in Scripture and say, well, you know, the church is going to wax worse and worse. That's what Paul says will happen. That's what we see happen, that the church is really failing in its duty. So people will say, oh, you're just, you're just doom and gloom. What do you mean that God can't stir the hearts of his people once again? Well, there's no reason why God's people can't be stirred to revival. But I don't think that the scripture talks about it in a worldwide status until we get to the book of Revelation, until we get to God picking up with Israel once again. Because there was a worldwide uh, gospel campaign, if you like. You find that in uh, the early church. You find that from Pentecost on where the Jews go out and they lead that evangelistic campaign. The early church was predominantly Jewish and its leadership and its thrust. But the church today, which is predominantly Gentile, is failing in that aspect. We have failed. We live in a generation in this land and our other nations, and we've got representatives from all nations here in the United Kingdom, pretty much, except the Welsh. But they're not even a nation, are they really? They're practically English. <laughs> it's a joke, Welsh people. Uh, it is a joke. But we've seen the, the, the decline, haven't we? We can't not see it. It's happening. We've, we've took our privilege as, as you know, a nation that sent out missionaries to the world, that raised up people that knew the word of God, and we've gone astray in that, and we've gone liberal in that, and we've left the door open for all sorts of things to come into the church. And Christendom now is polluted with anything goes type of stuff. 
Even the simple truths of Scripture are up for debate now. Institutions that Scripture lays down, such as marriage, being torn apart. And often you find the people that are vocal are the people that should be absolutely abhorrently against what's happening in our country. They should know better as people that claim to be Christian. So we see the, the world waxing worse and worse, but that doesn't mean that God can't put his hand on a certain area or a certain locality or a certain group of people that would get serious about praying to God and get serious about the Word of God and get serious about the work of God. I have no doubt that God will respond and pour his blessings upon those people in those areas. But do I believe that out of the church we're going to see a worldwide revival that many want to see and they think that that will usher in the return of the Lord where we fix the world so it's ready for the king to return. Absolutely, I think Scripture speaks against that. But it does say that there will be a witness to all nations and then the end shall come. Who is that witness? What is that witness? Well, it's very Jewish in its nature. And we're going to be introduced this evening to those that are going to go out and do this evangelization. And we're going to see, hopefully by the end of tonight, that we're, I believe, I really truly believe that, there are going to be more people come to Christ in this period than has ever come to Christ during the church age. And you say, well, how do you get to those calculations, Pastor? We're going to have a look at that tonight and we're going to see it, hopefully. So I do believe that there will be a worldwide evangelistic crusade, but I don't believe the church has any part in it. I think this is for the Jews, and we're going to see this as we're introduced to the 144,000 this evening. So we left off last week, as it were, at the end of Revelation chapter number 6, and really it's not pretty reading as these seals uh, are opened, and we've seen the four horsemen of, of the apocalypse there. And you know, I spoke to you about how I believe that they're just kind of personifications rather than persons. And ultimately, the Antichrist would be the ultimate type of this. But we see deception and death and war and disaster and disease. And then what happens? Verse seventeen of Revelation six. Well, from reading from really verse 12, the, the sixth seal is opened. Uh, there's an earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. This is very much tied in with Joel's prophecy in Joel chapter number 2. Because Joel's prophecy is given. And at Pentecost, part of that prophecy is happening. But what I believe is, that happens there is that the church age, which is not an Old Testament thing, Joel wasn't thinking about the church. He was prophesying according and concerning to the children of Israel and their mission as the elect people of God to go and take the gospel to the nations. They were to be the light of, to the world. That was their job. They were given the oracles of God. They had a covenant relationship with God that no other nation had, and they were to take the gospel, but they failed. And when you read Joel's prophecy, you start to get into it, and then some of those things are fulfilled at Pentecost. But then there are other things, like we've just read in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12 that Joel talks about. The sun became black, and the moon became as, as blood that, that didn't happen at Pentecost. And what really I think happens there is if you look at Joel's prophecy like this, the, the church comes flying in to this and breaks it apart. 
And what you see is Joel's prophecy, the start of it, and then phasing into a purely Gentile church. And I think you see the same the other end. And what we get to in Revelation chapter number 6 is these events that Joel had prophesied that happened, hadn't happened at Pentecost, but are going to happen at this period where the church is gone and God is picking up with Israel again. And, you know, we read it and it didn't make for good reading. You know, the, the, the topology of the earth has changed. Verse 14 of Revelation 6, And heaven departed as a scroll when it was ruled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. This is cataclysmic change here. Things are hot and up here. It's no longer this build-up of, of, the, of the wars and the deception, but this is God now starting to shake the earth. And we were amazed, weren't we? How that even at this, the people would rather die than turn to God. And say, the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. Still choosing rebellion rather than repentance. And we're amazed at how people can do this. Even today, can still reject God when he has made himself crystal clear that he is the sovereign creator of all the universe. We just have to look at the day we're having and the sunshine we're having. Can you open that door a little bit? I don't know why that's shut. Oh, you shut it, did you? You can stand to be the doorstop as punishment for that then. Because I'm starting to sweat, so I don't know about you. But as hot as it is in here, it's not as hot as it's going to get when the seal judgments are poured out. And we left it last week. The sixth uh, seal was there. Verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come. Who shall be able to stand? So really we should be ready for the next seal to be opened, the seventh seal. And these things are hotting up. And of course we're, we are on tippy toes as it were, waiting to hear what, what's next with these judgments. Then we get to Revelation chapter number 7. And what we find is that there's a suspension of the judgments. Look at verse 1 to 3 with me. And after these things I saw four angels. The number four is important in Scripture. Again, not all numbers are important in Scripture, but four is the number of creation, north, south, east, west. I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So here we see that this judgment is, is ready to be poured out, but there's a, there's a pause, there's a suspension of the judgment. And the reason for that is that the, God has to do the sealing of his servants. They're going to be his witnesses during this period. They're going to go on this campaign and take the gospel of the kingdom to the world. And there's a pause. And there's a decree that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. Now, when you think about this, I'm thankful for wind, especially when we've opened that door. Right? You felt the breeze come in. 
But there's a time coming on earth, the church won't be there, praise God, but there's a time coming on earth where literally the wind ceases. Stops. Sea isn't moving. There's something happens in the gravitational things that are going on. And we've just read after Revelation chapter number 6 that there's a big change in the earth. So again, these things are hyperactive. And all of a sudden, it's stop. Nothing. Can you imagine being on the earth at that time? You think, well, wind. It's something you take for granted. But honestly, if, if it just stopped, stop. Imagine going for a walk. Just out in the countryside and, you know, you hear the trees and the wind blowing in the trees and just suddenly it just... Silence. And this is the calm before the storm. And why has God decreed this? Why has he ordered for this to happen? Because the sealed have to be sealed. The servants of God have to be sealed. And until they're sealed, the judgment is being suspended. Now the judgment will resume. We'll, we, we will look at that when we get to it, Lord willing, next week. But for now, there's other work to be done. And there's a pause in the action, as it were. So the suspension of the judgment brings us then to the sealing of the Jews. And I want to say that again. I want to say it loudly. It's the sealing of the Jews. Revelation 7, verse 4. And I heard of number of them which were sealed or the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. If you don't have that children of Israel underlined or highlighted, you should do that. Because it's important. You know, um, we'll talk about it when we get there, so we'll not jump ahead. But it's important. And, and sealing, it dictates ownership. We've looked already at the, the, the scroll that was sealed. And how it was only to be able to be opened by the rightful person. And that rightful person was the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had the authority, who had the commission to open those seals. We know as believers we're sealed until the day of redemption. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians 1.13. And the Holy Spirit that dwells within us permanently, forever, as believers in the church age, is a mark of God's ownership of us. His seal that we are His. It's His guarantee that we're safe and we're saved and one day He'll take us to heaven. Here we find 144,000 Jews that are sealed. And this is the truth. God always lays claim to his own. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament. Um, when Abimelech tampered with Abraham's affairs, God warned in Genesis 24, 7, Restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray to thee. God knows his own. And he looks after his own. And he marks his own. If you remember Elijah, Mount Carmel. Of course, he's feeling sorry for himself. He's down in the dumps. He thinks he's alone. And, and what's said to him, 1 Kings 19, verse 18, Yet I've left me 7,000 in Israel, all in these which have not bowed unto Baal. God had his people, and God knew his people. And it's no different today when we get into the church age. God knows you. He has you. He has his seal upon you. You are his, and you cannot change that. 
because you have God's seal upon you till the day of redemption. The down payment, as it were. God's watching over you. He's taking care of you. He has his eye upon you. But when we get into Revelation 7, we're dealing with Jews. We're not dealing with Gentiles. We're not dealing with the church. We're not dealing with the body of Christ. It's very clear in the Scripture. You know, Scripture talks about these different uh, uh, corporate bodies. We have the Jews, we have the Gentiles, and we have the church of God. And in this section in Scripture, we're going to see these two uh, companies. We're going to see Jews and we're going to see Gentiles. But first of all, we're introduced to the 144,000 who are indeed Jewish. Now, you think, honestly, you would think it would be pretty, pretty clear just, just reading Scripture. Honestly, you would. You know, and honestly, I think sometimes much learning can make you mad. I think sometimes when the common sense makes clear sense, don't think any other sense to do so is nonsense. That's, and I know that sounds cheesy, but that's it. It says these are the 144,000 of all the tribes. So notice it says tribes of the children of Israel, the children of Jacob. And someone will come along and say, oh, we're all children of Abraham. And, you know, if you attend Romans on Wednesday night, we'll, we'll, we've dealt with spiritual and physical lineage. But regardless, this is not the children of Abraham. This is the children of Israel. Let me take Israel out and say this is the children of Jacob, the tribes. It's very clear in its language. But surprisingly, we can take clear language and we can muddy it and change it and try and make it fit our agenda. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. Seventh-day Adventists, when you get really to their core teaching, that's what they do. Say 144,000 are those that uh, do the Saturday service and are found to be in this great faithful state when the Lord returns. The Jehovah's Witnesses say these are the overcomers. I noticed the Jehovah's Witnesses on Saturday. We had our prayer meeting on Saturday morning for the men. And I parked my car in, in the, the little car parking spot at the front, not in the car park. And, and uh, I pulled out and was driving and I seen the Jehovah's Witnesses. Any other, anybody else see them on Saturday morning? No? Yeah. Are they there every week? Okay, I'll be there next week. I, <laughs> not, not in badness, but I like to engage with them because... When, when they are at their little stand, you have an audience. And you can talk to them and they'll engage in spiritual conversation. And uh, I was thinking about coming back and I said, no, I'll, you know, if the Lord wanted me to speak to them this morning, I'd have parked the car in the car park and I'd have walked past them. But now I know that they're, they're, they're there. I will talk to them. And you know, we take them to this passage and, and they have been taught. They've been taught and drilled to say what... The, the organization wants them to say, but when you just ask them, just, just read what it says. No, no, it has to be something else. There are so many different cults and, 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 and groups and schisms that have come out and have all sorts of ideas about who this 144,000 are, but it's clear. Verse 4, these are uh, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. You know, if somebody comes along and says, I'm one of the 144,000, you should really ask them what tribe they're from. Because we get the first five, it says, of the tribe of Judah, of the tribe of Reuben, and on and on it goes. And, and, I, and I thought about this. I thought, why has God put this in his word? 
Why does it, you know, John the Revelator, as he writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, why does he not just give us verse 4 and leave it there and then move on to verse number 9? You know, why, 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 why go through and say, well, there's 12 tribes, there's 144,000, we can do the mass, we know the children of Israel, we know what the tribes are. But there's repetition of Israel. There's repetition of the number. There's repetition of the tribe. And I believe that the Lord is putting this in here. He has his purposes ultimately in relation to the tribulation, but also so that when people come along today and want to say something else, you just point them to Scripture and say, will you read that for me, please? And over and over again, it points us to Israel. There is no other conclusion to take. To do so is eisegesis. What is eisegesis? It's putting your determinative beliefs, your presuppositions, whatever it may be, your biases, and putting them in there. And that's what the Jehovah's Witness will do. They'll say, no, 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 this is, this is the uh, uh, overcomers of the Jehovah's Witness movement. I say, well, where does it say there that it's the overcomers of the Jehovah's Witness movement? And they'll say, well, well, let's talk about the cross. It wasn't, it wasn't a cross, it was a stake. They'll not want to deal with it. They want to go somewhere else and take you somewhere else and take you somewhere else. But what does the Word of God say? Because that's all that matters. It's all that matters. It's clear, as clear can be, that these are Jews. These are Jews. God has an outstanding covenant with the children of Israel. And he will fulfill it. And the Jews up until this point haven't been playing ball, but now God is dealing with them specifically. We're going to get introduced to the two witnesses in Revelation 11 when we get there. And they, I think, are the catalyst, and they start to witness. And you think about the times, think about what's going on. The world is being shaken and the Jews who are tuned to Jehovah and know that one day, according to Joel's prophecy, these things are going to happen. That the sun is going to become dark and the moon's going to come as blood. They know these things are going to be happening. So if they're students of the scripture, that they see these things. And then the two witnesses are in Jerusalem and they're starting to prophesy and they're starting to witness. And there's a movement among the Jewish people and God puts his hand upon these 144,000 and they become the evangelists that are going to go out into the world. And what evangelists are going to be? Because the first worldwide gospel campaign was Jewish and they didn't have the whole picture at that point. The only one really that had the full picture at that point was Paul. But until the canon of Scripture was laid down, they didn't have in written form the full picture. They had the Old Testament. They had the Messiah that they had accepted and they went forth with that. What do you think is going to happen to Jews that are experts in the Old Testament that start to see these things and start to read the New Testament and specifically start to read the book of Revelation and they put it all together? If you think they were good before, where do you see what they're going to be like when all the dots connect? 
I mean, if you've ever met a Messianic Jew that really knows their Old Testament, they can connect things in Scripture that you just wouldn't be able to put together because of who they are. They're going to go out and, you know, we have Jews all over the world that are in positions, prominent positions, and they are going to be expert evangelists. Many, many are going to hear that message and be saved during this period. How do we know that? Let's read on verses 9 to 17, where we have the salvation of the justified. Verse 9, after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. The events here have moved from earth to heaven and we see the result of the witnessing of these 144,000 and they have gathered a great multitude which no man could number of all nations. Certainly they're saints of God, verse 10, and cry with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. A little bit later on that we're introduced that John asks the elder, I believe this elder is one of the representatives of the church, but we can agree to disagree on that if you don't follow my Line, verse 13, What are these which are red and white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, having washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the redeemed of the tribulation period. They've gone out, they've been witness to, they've had the mark of the Lord upon them as opposed to the mark of the beast, as it were, and we'll talk about that when we get there in Revelation. This ministry has produced a great multitude. Now, when Pentecost happened and Peter uh, preached, uh, there were 3,000 saved, and we know that you know, the church grew, and there was the diaspora, there was a spread of the Jews, they went into all the nations, they took the gospel, and you know, the church grew. But nothing compared to what's going to happen here. So I said to you that I think that, that all these things point to the greatest amount of people being saved in this condensed period, more so than all through church history. Why do I say that? Well, think about the factors. Think about the factors. Number one, we've had the rapture of the church. Certainly that's got to have set some minds thinking about certain things. Number two, we have these 144,000 off the back, I believe, of the witness of the two witnesses of Revelation 11 that are sealed by God and start to go out. I've connected all the dots. You want to call them super evangelists, that's what you can call them, 144,000. I wish to God there was 144,000 missionaries as equipped as these would be in the world today. It would be a different place if it was, but it's not like that at all. It's nowhere near that number. And you may say, well, there's a lot, and there's a lot that are no good. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. There's a lot that are no good. No more committed to the cause of Christ than the lost man on the street that are making merchandise out of the gospel. It's not going to be that way when the 144,000 are seeing. Think about the events and the sealed judgments. Think about what's happening. The world's being shaken. 
You know, when the world's shaken, there is a, 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 a rising in people's thoughts about eternal things, about life and death. That's what, what happens. You know, during COVID, there's been an increase of people reaching out and thinking about mortality. And, and you know, that's when they're sitting in their houses, getting paid to stay at home. What happens when the world is collapsing around them? The appetite is going to be there. And you have these 144,000 that go out and are able to witness amongst millions and millions of people because at the point that this happens the earth will have had its greatest population not like it was in the early church what coming up to eight billion people so there's more people there's more evangelists their conditions are unlike ever anybody has seen before the appetite will be there. And you put all this together and you get to Revelation 7 and you find a great multitude that no man could number. Yes, this is a tribulation period. Yes, this is God's judgment being poured out. But I want to say to you, it's a manifestation of God's grace when he sees these 144,000. And they go out into the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And many come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What a gracious God we have. What a gracious God. These evangelists will go out. They'll worship. They'll witness. And there'll be a great moving of God. There will be a worldwide revival. Unfortunately, brethren, I don't believe it'll happen under our watch. But we will be there to watch it. The redeemed of the Lord will have a ringside seat, as it were, from heaven, looking down, and we'll see these Jewish, Jewish 144,000 of the tribes go out and do the work that we probably should have done. But we let our guard down. We let the world in. But this time, God is picking up with Israel. They're going to go. They're going to do the business. And they're going to get serious about God's business. And God is going to put his hand upon them. He's going to protect them. So they're sealed. The suspension of the judgment takes place. There's the sealing of the Jews. We see the result of this. And we see this great salvation of this great multitude. And we'd love to stay there. We'd love to stay there on that thought that there is a great multitude, that there is the gospel going out there. We'd love to stay on the good news. But unfortunately, we'll have to move on. Revelation chapter number 8, verse number 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. You, in this verse, will see something that is contrary to what heaven is all about. Heaven is a place of praise, eternal praise. Here, heaven is silent. There was a pause on earth. The wind was stilled, the seas were stilled, and there was a calm before the storm. But before this seal is opened in Revelation 8, the seventh seal, out of which the next set of judgments comes, there's silence in heaven. Not to rest, but to reflect upon what is about to happen to the people of the earth. This is the seriousness of God's judgments. And we'll pick up with that next week, Lord willing.
Let's pray.